0: Um, Hey, good morning. Um, I'm Chris Horn. I work with college students um, at Wake Forest, the ministry of RUF, and um, part of this church, and really grateful for that. So really good to be here with you this morning to open the word uh, with you. And I gotta be honest, like I just um, have been so blessed uh, by God's presence with you this morning. And singing and praying together. Thanks for leading us, sis. Um, so thank you for that gift. Um, part of what we've been doing here at Redeemer since the summer is we've been exploring different aspects of the Christian life and the Christian experience. We've looked at scripture, we've looked at worship, we've looked at generosity and justice and mercy and so, Giorgio asked me. Our pastor, Giorgio, asked me to talk about evangelism this morning and sharing uh, Jesus with people that may not know Him yet. Uh, I recognize that each of us in the room are in a different place. Um, some of us are not sure what we think about Jesus. I mean, all of us are not sure what we think about Jesus, to be honest. But um, some of us uh, have put our faith in Him. Some of us don't. Really grateful for each of us and each of our stories this morning. and uh, But the word evangelism, that might be some, a word that is familiar to you, it might not, but it comes from um, this Greek word that means gospel or good news. The same word that we use for gospel is the same word that we use for uh, evangelism. It just means that you're good-newsing somebody, that you're giving them good news. So you can think about it, like if you get a notification on your phone and, you know, it says the war in Ukraine is over. You'd be like, that's I just got evangelized by my phone. I just got good news by my phone. Or your phone might say the Deeks won, which they did not. They lost yesterday to Miami, sadly. They really just let it slip away in the last five minutes of that game. And they needed it in order to make the tournament. So it was not good news yesterday, but imagine that it had been. That It's being good news, getting a a word of good news. And so when I thought about the passage that I would want to look at together, I came to this passage in 1 John chapter 4, and I'm honestly just really excited to read this together. So I'm going to read from 1 John 4, starting in verse 7. Beloved. through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. So just imagine that. No one, no one has ever seen God. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. It's the word of the living God. Thanks be to God. Part of what I love about reading John is this is written by the Apostle John, one of Jesus' 12 friends that traveled with him. And John refers to himself in his gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He just loves that Jesus loved him. He's even painted, like in the Da Vinci's Last Supper painting, like reclining on Jesus' chest. Um, So I just, it's like reading somebody talking about their spouse or their best friend. Uh, It's just beautiful um, hearing about John's love for Jesus and Jesus' love for him. So uh, let's pray and ask that God would bless bless this word. Lord, we're thankful um, that we're gathered here. And Lord, whether we uh, know you or have confidence in your love or we don't, Lord, you know us and you love us. Lord, you made every single person in this room in your love. And our love for you is not a precondition of your love for us. We love at all because you have loved us. And so, Lord, um, I just pray that as we look at this passage together, that you would show up to us by your spirit, that we would just be able to grasp with our souls your love, that you are love, Just come, come to be with us and show it to us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, a few years ago, right before COVID, it was like November, I think, before COVID, um, in the BC era, before COVID, and, um, and I, I actually got a chance to go with Dave Moser, um, who is a long-term part of our, uh, uh, member of our church. To India, and it was a crazy, (laughs) it was a crazy trip, Um, because it was like we flew there, and then we like went to sleep, and then we got on a train, and the train was like more than twelve hours up into the north of India, like near Nepal, and then we got out of the train. I was like, "We're here!" And then we had to ride in a car for like another three hours. Um, It was really far away and very uh, challenging to get to. But in this little town called Utrala, and by little town, I mean a place with like probably hundreds of thousands of people, honestly. Um, There's a lot of people out in India, (laughs) y'all. We arrived at this hospital that Redeemer has supported and the Mosers have supported for years, and it's this Christian hospital uh, in an extremely impoverished place where nobody else, there's no like Christian people around, it's basically just the people in the hospital that follow Jesus, and they see hundreds and hundreds of patients every day. They come through, and some of them are there to have babies. Um, some of them are there to get, like, cataracts fixed. Some of them are just sick, um, but this one day we were there, and it was, it was weird walking around as, like, this white dude from America, um, and the, the, I had to preach every morning, and that was super, super duper weird, um, but this one day, Um, these women came in, and I may have told the story before, but if so, here it is again. Um, These women came in, and there was probably about, like, 25 women. And some of them were Hindu women, some of them were Muslim women, and they were all poor, and they all had the same story. So the story was that um, their husbands, they were married, you know, all married with children, and their husbands had taken jobs elsewhere and had gone to Mumbai, I think, and being trained for their jobs, usually as taxi drivers in in another country, and while they were there had visited prostitutes and and contracted HIV. And so then over the course of their training and work, they became sick and they returned home and then uh, gave uh, HIV to their wife. And for all of these women, their husbands had died, and so they lost their husband, and they were also HIV positive. And for each of these women, their husband's family, whom they lived with or lived really close with, um, had blamed them for this disease, which had killed their husband. And obviously, that's cut off the likely the livelihood for their family, um, the ability to be able to provide for their family, and then. Um, pretty much as these women shared their stories, because they had a time of sharing stories, um, pretty much all of them, part of their story was that they are routinely beaten, um, often by their mother-in-law, uh, shamed, put away from their family. Women would share, uh, you know, they'd say, what's some good news? And, you know, multiple women said, I got to see my son, and I haven't seen my son in a year or in two years, or. Uh, I haven't been beaten for the last two weeks. Uh, and on top of this, all of these women are living in just absolutely abject poverty. And so I'm sitting there just listening to their stories and just overwhelmed by their profound suffering. And as I'm, as I'm sitting there, the, the man that's, that's doing it, the, they all come to the hospital, by the way. Uh, many of them travel hours and hours and hours to get there because once a month they gather to get their HIV medication that keeps, prevents a, their HIV from becoming AIDS. And so that's what gathered them together. And they're there to get their medicine and to connect with one another. And I'm just in the room, you know, the most awkward person on the planet. And the guy looks over at me and says, Pastor, do you have a word for these ladies? And I was like, no. Can I say no? Is no an option? Um, because, I, I mean, I, w- I was sitting there with these women and, and thinking, like, I'm, am I supposed to do evangelism right now? Like, hey, I know it's been hard, but let me tell you about Jesus. Because practically speaking, the worst thing that could happen to these women actually is that they were to convert to Christianity. It's like whatever they had and like whatever empathy they have from their community, that would immediately evaporate. I sat there praying, Lord, if you want to save these women, please do, and then let them immediately die so that they could be with you. That was like the best I could come up with. Um, I, just want, I was just like, can I just say I'm really sorry and that this isn't okay? Okay. Um, I sat there, I guess, wondering, like, can I really tell these women that God loves you? And could I say that to them, you know, with a straight face? And um, as I was thinking about this passage this morning, and I know that many of you, some of you I don't know, I would love to, to know you, um, and I know that many of you are suffering. Um, many many of you maybe it doesn't feel quite like these women in neutrala, but you are suffering profoundly um and are afraid. So can I say to you that God loves you in a way that will make you want to go tell somebody else that God loves them? And that's why I landed on this passage. Um what does John say, this person that seems convinced that God loves them? He says that God is love. Now, we may have heard that before and are familiar with it, but, is, but just think about what he's saying. He's not saying God does loving things. He's not saying God is so loving towards people, which of course he is. He's saying that God is love. Like, God is not wrath. God has wrath. But like, if God was wrath, I heard one pastor say, if God was wrath, we would know it. God is love. All love, anything that we could construe as love or experience as love, comes from God. He goes on to say later that we love because God first loved us. Whether we know God or not, our capacity to love and to experience love comes from God who is love. And then he goes on to say, how do we know? It's easy to say that you love somebody. It's not easy to believe that somebody loves you. What's the proof? He, he says this in, in verse nine. He says, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. What, he, what he's saying by that is the way that we know, the way that, it, that, that we have proof, the way that we can tangibly recognize that God loves us, was made, 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 made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world. In, in, the, in the Greek, they're making a, a real point that Jesus is his only son, his one and only son, his unique son, this one person who was so close to him that God sent him into the world. God sent a gift. Now it was Valentine's Day this past week, I gave my wife the gift of earplugs for Valentine's Day and they're very fashionable looking earplugs so that she doesn't, it can take down the volume of the room and so that she can experience love without experiencing other things. Um, The gift that God has sent to us is his son. God moved toward us. He came to us. He came to be with us so that what? So that we might live through him. And in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. God loved us. He moved toward us. He sent his son, not because we love him or because we're going to love him. He moved toward us because he loves us with no precondition of our love. And actually what this gift, this son, the Lord Jesus coming to us, what he has done, when he says to be the propitiation for our sins, he has come to pay The debt, the lack of love that we have for God and for our neighbor, he has come to remove that, to take that away from us. Jesus manifests God's love to us, he makes it real, he makes it tangible, he makes God's love not an idea but what it actually really is, which is a person. I mean, people touched Jesus. They touched his body. People carried Jesus' dead body. They lifted it off the cross and carried it into a tomb. Jesus hugged people, put his hands on them. His love is made tangible, made manifest to us, and I, I wonder, this is why part of what I was asking um, our little sisters and brothers when they were up here earlier, how do you know that someone loves you? Like, in your bones, like, how has someone's love become real to you? And when I think about that question for myself, the, I mean, the first person I think of is Sarah Jane, my wife, um, too many times to count. Um, that she could have chosen to not manifest her love to me, but she did. I remember one time we were dating. I sat down and basically told her all of my past. And that was the time. We were engaged. That was the time to to hit unsubscribe. Um, But she didn't. She still gets my emails. Um... (laughs) And we're going to work from emails to something more intimate. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, she's had the opportunity. So now I can't, I can tell myself she doesn't love me, but I can't believe myself that she doesn't love me. I remember when I was in college, um, I was just first coming around Christian people. And when I was growing up, I didn't know anyone whose parents were married. And so, you know, it was just, it was just, hard, it was just hard lives and hard relationships for the people that I knew. Um, And I remember being at a friend's house for lunch after church. I remember I was at church being like, everyone knows the words to this prayer. It's not even written down. They somehow all know it. It was super weird. Um, But I remember being at my friend's house. They had this beautiful home, and uh, they made this beautiful meal. And we were sitting there eating, and I've told you all this before, I think, but like, the mom and dad were hugging in the kitchen, like not performatively, like they were just in there, we were eating, and they were hugging, and I was like, what is happening? <laughs> um, I thought maybe there was like someone filming them, you know, but they weren't. Um, that love, love between two married people f- felt real to me in that moment. It's something that's actual. Um, this past week was my birthday, on Friday was my birthday, thank you, um, and um, all, I'm in a pastor's group with uh, five other guys, and they're all around the, the country. And like, I know they love me. I love them. Um, but we talk on Marco Polo, and they all sent me a message on my birthday, each of them. Some of them I know much better than others. And they were just like, Here, you know, here's, why, here's what I appreciate about you. Here's why I love you. And I mean, I wept. Because like, even people that they didn't know me very well they were able to articulate something that they loved. Um, it was very real. Um, we mentioned in the prayer our sister Hanan that's living in the Hawthorne house. You know, she's suffered a lot. And her son Yasir rides with us to school every day. And, uh, you know, the, where the earthquakes are in Turkey and in Syria, you know, pretty much all of her relatives that are living um, are now homeless and sleeping outside and, um, you know, she's lost people, friends, and uh, the couple nights after the earthquake she texted me, which I can never understand the text. We text back and forth, sometimes in Arabic and sometimes in English, and it is fraught with misunderstanding, my friends. Um, And she made us all these, like, meat pies. It was like this whole, like it was like probably eight pounds. Um, and it was just, I mean, it was just her love was so tangible and real, even in her suffering. What, how has love become real to you where you know that it's real? The way that God shows us his love is in Jesus. He gives us Jesus. He moves toward us as we are. What I ended up telling the, the women, because I was expected to say something, was I just told them the story that, you know, about Jesus and the woman with the issue of blood, this woman who had been bleeding, had menstrual bleeding for 12 years, and nothing could make it stop, and she was so poor. The funny thing was I didn't have to explain it. They had got it. And I, and I was just like, he loved her. And she touched him, and he embraced her and called her sister. That's, that's our God. He goes on to say um, in verse 13 through 16, not just that God loves us. But, you know, someone could say they love you and they give you a gift, and then they're not around. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. He goes on to say, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and believe the love God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. God takes up his home in you. Like the thing that will that will make you understand beyond the shadow of a doubt that someone loves you is if they will stay near to you. God loves to be near to you. Loves it. He wants to live with you. Like think of a time that you felt really loved. The fountain of that love that you experienced is not just from God, it is God, flowing from his love through other people. And what John is saying is the fountain of that love wants to be near you and lives near you and is nearer to you than your own soul if you have Jesus. That fountain is God. He loves to be with you. And then he goes on to say that his love casts out fear. That there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. His love, this is what the love of God is doing in us, is that he is removing our fear of coming to God. That bit by bit, day by day, he's making us less afraid to move near God, who is always moving near us. And he's removing our fear of moving towards other people, because this is how he finishes the passage, that if you say, I love God, and you hate your brother, you're a liar. And he goes on to say, this is at the very end of the passage, For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Our love for God and our love of other people are yoked together so that our experience of one grows or diminishes with our experience of the other. The more that we love others, the more that we are able to experience the love of God who is unseen. And the more that we experience the love of God, the more that we are free to move toward other people and love them, to give them the gift, to, to move close to them, to not be afraid of them to be near to others. They are yoked together. I know I can't make it through a talk here without making a um, Disney reference. I don't actually do that otherwise, I only do it here. Um, just <laughs> FYI. Um, I think because one time so- someone told me that they didn't want to hear more Disney illustrations, so then I was like, well, every time now. Um, which shows I have a long way to go. But. Um, I, I really could, I think, teach a seminary-level class, not on the Bible, but on Frozen. And um, this, uh, just this idea is so beautifully enacted, though, in that story, all, all kidding aside, if you haven't seen it, um, there's a sister, Elsa. She has this magical power of making things ice and snow, and she's tried to conceal it from her family, because when she was a kid, she hurt her sister with it. So she's tried to conceal it, and hold on, conceal, don't feel, put on a show. We all know the song. Um, And then finally, she just says, forget it. She embraces it. She lets it go. She goes off, and she lives on her own in this ice palace. And what she does there is she, there again, isolates herself and ends up hurting her sister. And this time, instead of hurting her in her head, she Freezes her heart on accident. And throughout the story, there's this saying that that the only thing that can melt a frozen heart is an act of true love. And so most of the story takes place around Anna, who her heart is frozen, trying to get kissed by a man. Because nothing says true love like trying to get kissed by a man if you've ever known a man. And it sort of culminates in that and then we discover that that's actually not the act of true love. The act of true love is when her sister is about to be struck down by that man and Anna sacrifices herself for her sister. It's her love toward her sister that manifests the act of true love that saves her, that melts her own heart And frees her sister to use her power in a way that builds up others. It's her love for her sister, the act of true love that melts her heart and frees her sister. Our love for God and our love for others work together in that way. And so, to bring this all down, some of us are in that place of suffering. Some of us are experiencing the frozen heart. Some of us are feeling like those women in India and wondering, is God real? Does God love me? How can I know? And since this is supposed to be about evangelism, um, the encouragement that I have us is that not only is you're wrestling with God's love actually going is God real does God love me how can I know I need better than that to know and to believe it I need better than words I need better than someone telling me that it's all going to be okay like I need to know because I'm hurting that wrestling is not just necessary for your own sanity and your own soul it is also the space for other people to experience god's love and for it to be real the church is super weird and we have this notion that like the best way for me to share jesus is to be good and to and to not have problems and so we always speak about our suffering in past tense I used to struggle with that, brothers and sisters, but now there's this passage in 2 Corinthians where Paul says Jesus comforts us in our suffering so that we can comfort others in any suffering. The place of evangelism, the place of good newsing is in the place when you're like, is God's love real? I need to know. I want to know. Does Jesus love me? Is he here? Is he present? Are his promises true? Um, I mean, who has not? I mean, I experienced that from Hanan. Who, who has not experienced that if they have spent time in this last 18 months With our sister Jen, or our sister Laura, or our sister Sarah. Is it real? Because it's either real or it ain't. When you're suffering, you can't pretend to have it together. There's no fear of getting it right. It's real or it's not, and it is in that place the place where Jesus promises to meet us when we're heavy laden and burdened and dying, that there is this real moment of encountering God without fear. And that is the place um, I think that God invites us to, to invite others into. So you get to help others Find out whether the love of God is real. That's what you get to do. Don't be afraid. I, um, I was talking about this a little bit on Tuesday night at RUF, and part of what I was applying to them in this and was that for our guys in the room who are terrified of women, and rightly so. Um, They they are a a treacherous thing to behold because you realize that you are unworthy of their attention and space. But often when young, like, Christian dudes uh, meet a young lady and they feel feelings, they are afraid that they might sin against her, against themselves. And so what they do is they back away and they have a surface relationship. They treat that person like they're very one-dimensional, because they're afraid. But there's no love, there's no fear in love. If you're afraid that you might sin against somebody, you don't want to sin against somebody, you want to bring the love of God to bear. you move closer. You actually commit yourself to discovering what is it that makes this person so beautiful? What is it that makes this person so intelligent and wise? Because the more that you love someone as a whole person, the less likely you are to sin against them. The more that you make them one-dimensional and make them less and move away, the more likely you are to sin against them. And so I don't, I don't know how to apply that to you, but I'm just going to leave that there and encourage you that you get to discover with other people whether the love of God is real. So move toward them. Move toward Jesus. Move toward somebody that you're like, I don't know if God's love is real, but it seems like you're thinking it might be. Let's pray. Lord, um, thank you for this time. Um, maybe I took a little too much of it. Um, Thank you for the gift of your presence, for the gift of life. Lord, we want to be free, so I pray that you would free us to come to you as we are, to receive you as you are, the fountain of life, the God of love. It's what we were made to know. So Lord, feed us now at this table. Draw our hearts to you, we pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.